Hello listeners, and welcome back to Horseshoe History. In last week's episode, we covered the history of the Baltimore Colts from their first day in 1953 to the owner swap in 1972. Before Carol Rosenblum decided to sell his team, he thought about turning over the Colts to his son Steve and buying the Los Angeles Rams. Commissioner Pete Rozelle vetoed that idea as no one can own parts of two NFL franchises and having a father-son duo would be too close to dual ownership. Meanwhile, down in Miami, Dolphins owner Joe Robbie had fired Joe Thomas, his director of player personnel. Rosenblum would call Thomas to see if he could help him, which would lead to far-reaching results. Rosenblum would suggest that Thomas start his own scouting group and that the Colts could use his services. A dozen or so groups had approached Rosenblum around this time, hoping to buy the Colts, but each deal fell through. Commissioner Pete Rozelle suggested that Rosenblum should sell the Colts and purchase the Rams, but the tax picture was not a good one. A straight cash sale would have meant that Rosenblum would have had to pay $4.4 million in capital gains. He chose not to do this, stating that it would not have been fair to his family if something happened to him after the sale and they had to pay taxes on the estate. Pete Rozelle would go on to suggest that Joe Thomas, who had been a big part of the Dolphins' purchase, might have buyers available for the Colts. One group was led by Willard Keeland and his associate Clem Ryan, who had agreed to buy the Rams for $19 million and then trade teams with Rosenblum. Late in the negotiation process, Keeland and Ryan would come up just shy of the $19 million they needed, so Joe Thomas came up with a heating and air conditioning executive from Skokie, Illinois, by the name of Robert Ursay. None of the others knew him well, and the first question asked to Mr. Ursay was if he had the $5 million to clinch the deal since another offer was made for the Rams. Ursay would reply with, I could have it. As would turn out, he did have it and more. In the end, Keelan and Ryan would drop out of the bidding, leaving Mr. Ursay with the entire $19 million bill for the Los Angeles Rams. He would complete the sale and trade teams almost immediately with Carol Rosenblum. Now, $19 million might not seem like much for a team, but in today's money, that's almost $119 million. Still, not very much for a team considering the Carolina Panthers were sold in 2018 for $2.275 billion with a B. When Robert Ursay assumed ownership of the team on July 13, 1972, he announced the appointment of Joe Thomas as Baltimore's new general manager, succeeding the outgoing Don Klosterman who went with Rosenblum to Los Angeles. Coach Don McCafferty would start the season 1-4 and and be let go of his position, allowing John Sandusky to become interim head coach. Sandusky would end the season 4-5 to bring the Colts to a 5-9 record. This would also be the last year Johnny Unitas would suit up for the Colts, as in the offseason he was traded to the San Diego Chargers for future considerations. Mr. Ursay would bring in Howard Schnellenberger to coach the team in 1973. The team would end the 1973 season with a 4-10 record in Schnellenberger's only full season at the helm, highlighted by the upset of the defending champion Miami Dolphins, although the Dolphins played their second stringers for most of the game. Schnellenberger would only make it three games into the 1974 season, all losses. Schnellenberger would be replaced by GM Joe Thomas after a 30-10 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. During the second half of the game, Mr. Ursay was walking around the sidelines voicing his preference for Burt Jones to be the starting quarterback over Marty Domris. Robert asked Coach Schnellenberger when that change would be made and was met with sarcasm. This would lead to the coach's post-game dismissal. First, Mr. Ursay had gone to the press box to inform Joe Thomas that he was being named head coach. Then we would go to the locker room to break the news to the team before letting Schnellenberger go in what was described as a rather heated discussion in the coach's office. 
The team, now led by Joe Thomas, would finish 2-12 and in last place in the AFC East. The 1975 season would bring some good luck for the team, though. Ted Marchabroda was hired as the new head coach, and Joe Thomas went back to being solely the general manager. The team would enjoy what was dubbed the Miracle on 33rd Street due to Memorial Stadium being on 33rd. Marchabroda would turn the team around from a 2-12 record to 10-4 and tie with the Miami Dolphins atop the AFC East. Here's a bit of an odd fact. The 1975 Colts coaching staff included a 23-year-old assistant who would later go on to be the arch-nemesis of the Indianapolis Colts, Bill Belichick. This would be his first association and position with an NFL team. The Colts would win their first game of the 1975 season, but go on a four-game losing streak before winning their last nine games. Baltimore would win the division tiebreaker over Miami and be the number three seed in the playoffs, while Ted Marchabroda would win Coach of the Year. Unfortunately, they would lose in the first round 28-10 to eventual Super Bowl champions, the Pittsburgh Steelers. 1976 would look a little bit like the previous season, as the Colts would finish the season 11-3 and win the AFC East Divisional Crown. Quarterback Burt Jones would win MVP and Offensive Player of the Year award. Baltimore would enter the playoffs as the number two seed set to face off against the number three seeded Pittsburgh Steelers in a rematch of the previous year. Unfortunately, the outcome would be the same for Baltimore as the Steelers would win 40-14 en route to the AFC Championship game where Pittsburgh would lose to eventual Super Bowl champions, the Oakland Raiders. The Colts would start the 1977 season on a five-game winning streak and would win nine of their first ten games before dropping three of their last four, finishing the season at 10-4 and, and again the winners of the AFC East. Here's another random obscure fact. This would be the last season that the NFL would have a 14-game schedule. Starting with the 1978 season, it was bumped to 16 games. The Colts would enter the 1977 playoffs as the number two seed behind the Denver Broncos. The NFL would mix up the playoff seeding, and instead of having the highest seed play the lowest seed team, as they've always done and continue to do, they switched it so the number one seeded Broncos would face the third seeded Steelers, and the Colts would face the fourth seeded Oakland Raiders. This was done because Denver and Oakland were in the same division, and the NFL wanted to mix things up. The Colts would host Oakland on Christmas Eve in Baltimore, hoping to turn their playoff misfortunes around. Alas, the football gods were not on the side of the Colts for the third season in a row as they were defeated 37-31 in two overtimes. This game would be encased in the halls of NFL history, now known as Ghost to the Post. The game got its name from a 42-yard completion from quarterback Ken Stabler to wide receiver Dave Casper, whose nickname was Ghost due to his last name being shared with a certain friendly apparition. This is slightly different from our version of the Ghost, T.Y. Hilton. The pass from Stabler to Casper would help set up a game-tying field goal in regulation. Casper would go on to catch the game-winning 10-yard touchdown pass 43 seconds into the second overtime period. This game would be the final postseason game played in Baltimore's Memorial Stadium. The Colts would not return to the playoffs until 1987, their fourth season in Indianapolis, and the Ravens failed to qualify for the playoffs during either of their seasons played at Memorial Stadium. In 1978 and 1979, the seasons would end the same way for the Horseshoe as they would go 5-11 and finish in 5th place in the AFC East. Ted Marchabroda was relieved of his duties on December 27, 1979 to be replaced by former Dallas Texans player Mike McCormick. The 1980 season would fare a bit better for the team statistically as they would go 7-9 and, and finish 4th in the division. 
1981 season, they would go 2-14, and and this would lead to the ensuing dismissal of Coach McCormick. McCormick, who was an assistant under Coach Paul Brown with the Cincinnati Bengals, told reporters he always wanted to be like his mentor and do things the same, but let his emotions carry him away. He would be let go on December 21, 1981. He was replaced by Frank Cush, a former Canadian Football League coach. In Coach Cush's only year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, he would lead them to an 11-4-1 season and a berth in the CFL Eastern Conference Championship game. This would help bring him back to the States as he was hired by Baltimore before the 1982 season. During the strike-shortened 1982 season, the Colts had the dubious record of being the first NFL team since the 1976 Tampa Bay Buccaneers to not win a game during the season as they would finish 0-8-1. This would give the Colts the number one overall draft pick in the 1983 draft, which would become a headache for Robert Ursay and company. An up-and-coming player out of Stanford was projected the number one overall pick in the draft. And no, I'm not talking about Andrew Luck. I'm talking about John Elway. The problem was, he did not want to play for the Colts. In December of 1982, Elway would inform the Colts that he did not want to play for them and would prefer a West Coast team or the Dallas Cowboys or Miami Dolphins. After privately negotiating with the Colts, Elway would publicly threaten to join the New York Yankees if the Colts did not trade him. Elway had been previously selected in the 1981 Major League Baseball draft by the New York Yankees. He played in the Yankees' New York Penn Minor League, and Yankees owner George Steinbrenner was adamant about getting Elway to play right field for the Bronx Bombers. Elway's refusal to join Baltimore was controversial. Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Terry Bradshaw said that he should play baseball and he's not the kind of guy you win championships with. Many other teams would show interest in trading for Elway. Some of the possible trades were to trade Elway to the San Francisco 49ers for Joe Montana, to the San Diego Chargers for Dan Fouts, or to the New England Patriots. The Los Angeles Raiders were close to trading for Elway, but could not complete the required trade with the Chicago Bears for assets to facilitate the trade with Baltimore. With no successful trades before the draft, Baltimore had to draft Elway and trade him later. The general manager for the Colts, Ernie Accorsi, wanted Elway as he did not see the 1984 draft as producing any first-round quarterbacks. Accorsi would announce their draft pick as John Elway, surprising many observers, while Coach Cush had already told Elway's family they would draft him regardless of him playing baseball or not. That day, Elway reiterated he did not want to play for Baltimore at a press conference, announcing that as of that day, he was playing baseball if the Colts would not trade him. John's father Jack said that John would never play for Robert Ursay or Coach Cush. Ursay would begin to worry that Baltimore would waste their pick and begin negotiating with the Denver Broncos before the draft. The draft would take place on April 26th and 27th, and the Colts would end up trading Elway to the Denver Broncos on May 2nd in exchange for offensive lineman Chris Hinton, who was chosen fourth in the same draft, backup quarterback Mark Herman, and a first-round pick in 1984, which came to be Ron Solt. In hindsight, Baltimore really didn't have a choice. Do you lose out on a draft pick when he won't play for you, or do you take what you can get and move on? We all know the kind of career John Elway had. He would win Super Bowl 32 and 33, NFL MVP in 1987, Walter Payton Man of the Year in 1992, go to the Pro Bowl nine times, be the NFL passing yard leader in 1993, and have the most Super Bowl appearances at five until that was broken by Tom Brady when he played in Super Bowl 49. Elway would also be the general manager of the Broncos when they won Super Bowl 50, quarterbacked by none other than former Colt Peyton Manning. It all seems to tie back to Indianapolis somehow. Now, the Colts didn't make out like bandits from this trade, but they did get some decent capital. 
Chris Hinton would play offensive tackle for the Colts from 1983 to 1989. He was a seven-time Pro Bowler, a three-time second-team All-Pro, and would be inducted into the Indianapolis Colts Ring of Honor. Ron Solt would play guard for the Colts from 1984 to 1988 before being traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a 1989 first-round pick, which turned out to be Andre Rison, and a 1990 fourth-round pick, Rick Cunningham. Solt would return to the Colts for one more year in 1992. Mark Herman was a journeyman-slash-backup for most of his career. He would play 11 seasons but only appear in 40 games. He was drafted by the Broncos in 1981, would get traded to Baltimore in 1983, would back up Dan Fouts in San Diego from 85 to 87, then go to Los Angeles to play for the Rams in 1988 before returning to Indianapolis in 1990 and staying until his retirement in 1992. You might also recognize the name Mark Herman if you listen to Colts radio broadcast. He was part of the broadcast crew for nearly a decade. So back to 1983. On top of the madness of your top pick bailing on you, the city of Baltimore and the Colts were beginning to be at odds over Memorial Stadium. Ursay wanted a new stadium and the city was not on board with what he was asking for. The Baltimore Orioles of the Major League Baseball were also not happy with the stadium. It had many issues that were not getting fixed and the city was in no hurry to make it work. This would begin one of the most odd and heartbreaking divorces between the city and its team. Alright, so to recap the episode, Robert Ursay would purchase the Los Angeles Rams and trade them to Carol Rosenblum for the Baltimore Colts. Under the ownership of Robert Ursay, the Baltimore Colts would go 68-104-1 overall from 1972 to 1983. They would have seven different coaches during that time period. They would actually go winless in 1982. They would make the playoffs three times. One of the coaches, Ted Marchabroda, would be named Coach of the Year in 1975. Burt Jones would win MVP and Offensive Player of the Year in 1976. And Vernon Leroy Maxwell would win Defensive Rookie of the Year in 1983. Overall, during the Colts' time in Baltimore, they went 222-194-7 overall. They won three NFL championships, one Super Bowl. They would have 12 Hall of Fame players or coaches. Their names were Raymond Berry, Art Donovan, Ted Hendricks, John Mackey, Gino Marchetti, Lenny Moore, Jim Parker, Joe Perry, Johnny Unitas, Weeb Eubank, Mike McCormick, and Don Shula. Before we wrap up the episode, I would like to talk about the animosity between the city of Baltimore and the Indianapolis Colts, most notably Johnny Unitas. In 1979, Johnny Unitas was elected into the Hall of Fame for his amazing career, but there's something that never sat well with him. With the Colts' move in 1984 to Indianapolis, everything in the Hall of Fame from then on would reflect past players of Baltimore as Indianapolis Colts, rather than the team they actually played for, even if they never played in Indianapolis. After the move, Unitas would cut all ties with the Colts' organization. Unitas was very upfront about his feelings towards the Colts, and he would say that he had nothing to do with Indianapolis and would resent any reference to ever having been part of a city that he never played a game in. Even though the franchise has been in Indianapolis longer than it was in Baltimore, Baltimore still holds a large grudge. When the Colts go to Baltimore to play, usually on the scoreboard they have team names, as in the Ravens versus the Steelers, the Ravens versus the Saints, but when the Colts come, it's the Ravens versus Indy. They refused to put the Colts' name up there as they still believed the team was stolen from them. Come back next week as we dive into the rocky ending to the Colts' time in Baltimore. 
15 Mayflower trucks, marching band uniforms, and police escorts are not things commonly seen together. Stay tuned for the next episode of Horseshoe History, Episode 4, Midnight Escape.